Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, I thought it was going to feel like a fourth retirement or some level of a family member passing away. And unfortunately, I was right. Wow. The last dance comes to an end. And there's Michael Jordan excited, excited to see what Jerry Reinsdorf has to say about why the team broke up and he wanted to keep playing. I have always maintained that Jordan did not want to retire. And he said it loud and clear. And he's looking for what Reinsdorf's got to say. And then he's got that look of disappointment on his face. This is not really the way I wanted this thing to end at all. Even though I wanted confirmation that I was forever right, that the dude didn't want to retire. He didn't. He wanted to keep playing. Phil Jackson, come on, man. You really needed to go to Montana. You really needed to hold that that grudge on Jerry Krause. Jerry Reinsdorf's calling you up. He's begging you. And yeah, sure, Reinsdorf should have gotten rid of Kraus before that and never let it, let it get to that point. But he's calling you up. He's asking you, do you not owe it to Jordan to come back? Seriously. And why was that question not asked to Michael? Hey, Mike, were you angry at Phil? Jerry called him. They really went into it a little bit too late. Like, I'm looking at the clock, and it's late in game six, and it's 9.20. I'm like, all right, sweet. They're going to go into this a little. But I could have used the whole last episode being about the final decision and what was going on. No disrespect to the NBA film crew, but how the hell were you not there when they did the tribal last moments and Michael Jordan's writing a poem? Hashtag the poem. I would have killed to have heard that poem. Can I get a copy of the poem? No, we can't get a copy of it because it was burnt to a crisp in Phil Jackson's tribal yoga, meditation, last dance, sacred hoops moment. And I don't want to be angry about this stuff, but I'm just a little angry. That would have been sweet. Stuff not to be angry about. Jordan's security people, Gus. What a hero of a man, right? 
and Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr's mom and Steve Kerr talking about his dad. The whole world felt that one. I felt that one. That was incredibly sweet. But just the visual of Reinsdorf and Kraus at the final rally and the teams out there and Jerry's trying to figure out what to do. Even on the court in game six, I hope that Phil Jack, or rather, I hope that Michael and Scotty come back. It should never have gotten to that point. And I and I I can hear you out there. I can feel it. They never would have won in 99. Maybe they wouldn't have. But maybe they would have. I would have liked to have found out. And there is part of me, too, that wonders if Jordan kind of wants to just leave that knife twisting in there a little bit so he can sort of have the upper hand forever and he wants to, and he maybe he really was done. But I don't think so. I think he looks back now and consider the fact that he came back and played for the damn Wizards three years later. He wasn't done. And there was a video that year. He shows up at the Birdo Center. He's playing Corey Benjamin one-on-one. Great signing, Corey Benjamin. And he's saying to Corey Benjamin, look around you. What do you see? Look at all these banners. Where are you at? When you love the game that much, of course he doesn't want to retire. He's not going back to baseball. He's not going to anything. He's going to pick up his kids at school, which he doesn't want to do. Which, by the way, it was cool to see his daughter, Jasmine, making an appearance. A little cameo from Marcus and Jeffrey. The, the kids getting in there in, in episode 10. And phenomenal job by Jason Hare and Jake Rogel and the whole crew. But, of course, it wasn't, you know, I'm going to have my things that I think I feel like they could have done slightly better. And one of them would have been getting through the process. Hey, Scotty, if they had come to you with a one-year deal, come back and do this one more time, would you have done it? Hey, Dennis, I know you only played 35 more games, but if you were with Phil and Michael one more season, you think you could have gutted it out? You think you had enough left in the tank? Hey, Phil, are you at all remorseful that you have a huge impact on Michael's career ending? And, hey, Mike, do you regret cutting off your nose to spite your face? Phil left. You still wanted to play. Go call up Doug Collins. Frank Hamlin. About to have Tom Dore on the program today. And this is a phenomenal conversation. I think you're really going to love it. We It's lengthy, so... Uh, I hope you have a lot of time today and or do it over you know a couple of listens. But Tom touches on a ton of ton of stuff here. And he brings up a name, and I'll spoiler alert, I'll I'll say it right now, but he brings up Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright would have had Michael's respect. And I think the certainly the teams, that would have been a great guy to step in there, run the same triangle, and you know, Cartwright, Jordan would have known that he could trust Cartwright and that uh, he wasn't going to completely lick his behind. Bill always held standard. But regardless, like, Mike, do you regret not playing? I would have liked to have seen his answer now that you're looking back at it. So they really, 
that part of it just got truncated a little bit too much to my liking. But overall, it was just phenomenal. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss doing these podcasts. I'm going to continue the Jordan Conversations. If you want me to continue to do Jordan Conversations, can I, please feel free to send a tweet at the Carm. Hey, Carm, even though the last dance is over, we'd still like to have more Bulls guests on the Windy City podcast. And um, literally, if I don't get any, I'll probably do it anyway. But if you if you send me a couple, I'll be even more excited to try to track these guys down and get them on here. But let's, uh, without further ado, let's move on and bring in Tom Dore, the voice of the Chicago Bulls for 17 years. Uh, Tom, of course, sitting next to Johnny Red Kerr. A lot of stories to tell here. The voice of the Bulls, 92 on to 2009, right now on the Windy City Podcast. Let's start it out down a dirty road. Start it out. Tom Dord is a pure pleasure to have you on tonight after episode 10. Let me ask you before I start peppering you with questions, what was your biggest takeaway from the all the episodes combined? And maybe if you want to, you know, leave it as your final takeaway, you know, feel free. What what what's sitting with you right now? Um kind of empty, you know? Um being around, those are my buddies. I, I like guys that came afterwards. Fred Hoiberg is still a really, you know, there are a lot of guys that are still really close friends. But MJ, Pip, to some extent, Dennis, Phil, um, Johnny Bach, Tex Winter, Jimmy Clemens, Chip Schaefer, who you saw tonight. Chip and I, I had really good friends. And so, those were the guys that I was really tight with. Um, I, you know, broke in with them, obviously. <laughs> Pretty good place to break in, right? Pretty good place and time to break in. My first game was a radio game. I was the backup kind of fill-in for the fill-in radio guy, and I got, I don't know, four or five games, something like that. In their first year at Detroit, um, uh, their first championship season. So, you know, I, in some extent, grew up with them a little bit, but um, yeah, it was it was sad. Uh, and the thing about Steve Kerr, Steve and I are really good friends, and you know, I would go out to dinner. We we'd do all kinds of things together, and to have you know him tell the story of what happened to his dad, he and I went through it one night because I said, "Look, I've heard, but I don't know." And we just sat and talked about it one night. So I guess it's sad because I knew how close they were and I knew what it meant to all of them. Now, I know what it means to Chicago, but I knew what it meant to them. And that's probably the biggest thing that um, that I take away now. I mean, love the series, love the wins. The guys is really what it comes down to. So... I love what you just said. It, it could, I can feel how much it meant to you, and you could certainly feel how much it meant to them. I thought a couple things along the meaning lines tonight that stuck out. Number one, I've always held together that, look, Phil owed it to Michael. He still wanted to play, and 
you know, I had a conversation with Sam Smith recently about this. Like, sure, you're going to go around and live your life for other people. Who does that? It doesn't work that way. And regardless, and, and maybe that's a fair point by Sam, but I just thought it was very interesting tonight that Jordan very clearly underlined that he wanted to still keep going, which was, for me, that was the most painful thing to hear. I'm like, oh, there it is. He wanted to play. He said it right there. And it's like, whether they would have won or would have lost, it just doesn't feel right that it ended the way it did, at least to me. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that they made it clear. And I talked to Jerry Reinsdorf about this a couple times, um, about him reaching out to Phil and saying, what will it take? I really want you back. What will it take? And Jerry said, I tried and tried. And he said, Phil just wasn't coming back. And it all kind of bounced back to Jerry Krause. That's really what, right or wrong, good or bad, this is just the facts. That's what Phil, I don't know if resented is the right word, but um, didn't like. And so since it all kind of came back to him, I think it was the point for him that, oh, really? You want to do this? Well, let me help you do it. And I think that was a lot of it from PJ. So when Jerry's watching this and and sitting there tonight, do you think he regrets not interceding earlier and getting in the way before Jerry Krause? And give him his credit for a lot of things, but – the fact that he didn't intercede before he stepped up and said 82-0 doesn't matter, you're not coming back. Do you think he regrets that at all? Yeah, I, I, I think yes. The short answer, obviously, is yes, without a doubt. But I think looking back, and let's face it, we all wish we bought Amazon at $34 and Apple at a buck, right? I mean, we, we, all, we all wish we could have, would have, all that stuff. But if there could have been a buffer between Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson, and and if they could have kept Jerry Krause away from the media, it would have been to his benefit. It would have been to Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen's benefit. And it would have been to the overall team's benefit. Nothing against Jerry Krause. Jerry would say inappropriate things in inappropriate times. Jerry was, Jerry, I think Jerry Reinsdorf talked about it. Jerry Krause wanted Chicago to love him. Oh, he wanted it so desperately to be loved um, because he put it all together. You know, yeah, Rod Thorne drafted Michael. Jerry Krause put it all together and he wanted to be loved, but he couldn't control things that he couldn't control and some things that he could control, he didn't very well. And so having that buffer, I think would have really helped. I mean, immensely helped everybody involved. And, you know, again, looking back, man, I wish I'd have bought more Amazon stocks (laughs) at 34 and Apple at one, but I really wish there could have been somebody in between there and just made sure that, those problems didn't exist. Right. 
you didn't need a ton of foresight, though, to, at that point to figure out that you, hey, this is a good thing we got going on here. And Jerry Reinsdorf, he knew, like Jerry, you know, Krause is talking about with just unbelievable when you go back into it that they're having meetings with Tim Floyd as early as the fourth championship run. And, and Tim Floyd's telling Jerry, like, hey, I don't think you should get rid of this team. <laughs> you're you're winning 72 games. Tom Doerr's the announcer. We sit next to Red Kerr. Nobody wants to see this thing go away. And by the way, you're probably about to win championship number five and maybe six, and who knows from there. There is part of me. And here, let me let me give you one more thought on Krause. Like, because you brought up Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr has no problem saying that, look, my basketball career, if I hadn't played with Michael, I would never be where I am today. And that doesn't take anything away from Steve Kerr. All Jerry had to say was, I've been put in the most incredible position of all time. I got to be the general manager with Michael Jordan, and all I had to do was put the pieces around him. And, you know, Michael made it so much easier for me just having that guy. So I'll be forever grateful. And I just love being a small part of bringing six championships to the city. And he would have been beloved, right? That's all he had to say. Oh, yeah. Yep. But he wanted a little more (laughs) limelight. And that, that, I think, made it difficult for him because the limelight that he got wasn't quite what anybody would have wanted, right? No, and he, but he created so much of that for himself. It's really just too bad, end of the day. Um, there's also part of me, Tom, that thinks, Michael, Phil left. You know, if your wife leaves you, at some point, you got to move forward. Like, he could have basically picked the coach and kept going. If you wanted to bring Doug Collins in, like he ultimately did in Washington, he could have done that. You know, he could have, he could add Frank Hamlin. He could add a lot of guys. I would have liked them to ask him the question, hey, do you regret not just saying to Jerry, well, let me pick my coach then, and I'll try to get all these guys to come back on a one-year deal, and we'll go for seven. I would have loved to have seen his answer on that. And and the guy, if that happened, and I, I hadn't thought about that before till you said it, but I think if there was that guy, it would have been Bill Cartwright. Um, who eventually became a head coach. Um, and I think if Billy C. didn't have the voice box problem, I think Billy C. would still be a head coach in the NBA. Great teacher, great – I mean, he, he really would have done a good job. You just couldn't hear him. You just flat couldn't hear him. But that would have been my guess. But, hey, when, when Michael said, I'm drawing this line in the sand – if Phil's not back, I'm not back. But, you know, I think another thing that might have, that Jerry Reinsdorf might have done, and I don't know, look, you know, again, we can't look back and say, oh, this definitely would have been the case, but could you have gotten all of them together? Not Dennis, but Michael, Scotty, and Phil. Could you have put those three in one room and Jerry Reinsdorf walked in just like Michael talked about tonight. Johnny Kerr and I talked about it. Was there a way? Was there a way? And again, I mean, we're talking about stuff from a long time ago that, you know, you think I'm I'm trying. And Jerry Reinsdorf, I give him a lot of credit. He tried. He really tried to keep it together for one more year. And Phil just, nope, 
I'm not coming back. And look, we all have that opportunity. You know, when when your employer says, you know, we want you back, we want you back. You have the option to say, I don't want to do it. Okay, I understand. No is something I understand. And that's what the Bulls had to deal with then. That would have been another great question, by the way, too, just directed at Michael. Hey, Michael, Jerry's saying that he called up Phil. Do you have any angst, upset at Phil Jackson, who was offered the opportunity? Here, he, they're they're handing it to him, and he knows that you want to play. Do you hold any grudge against him? I would love to have seen an honest answer there, because Tom, it was it was interesting too when they handed him the the tablet. He was so excited to see what Jerry said. Oh yeah, what, yeah, like, you could tell. Like, yeah. I, it was amazing to me. Like he, like they, they really haven't talked about it. It's 2020. <laughs> and and there are two owners in the NBA, but, you know, you know how it is that think back to something your best friend said to you 30 years ago and really hurt you. Or think back to something your brother or sister or whatever did and, and it really hurt. Um, and I'm not saying Jerry Reinsdorf hurt Michael Jordan. But it's something that I think would be difficult for them to talk about, right? Yeah. So not, I'm not disparaging anybody here by any means, but I'm just saying I bet it's still real hard for all for everybody involved to talk about it. Look, I worked with Pip for, I don't know, it was two or three years in TV um, during the postseason. Not many people watched. Um but we were there. We did postseason, and that was Scott Skiles and Kirk Heinrich in that group. And I'll tell you, everything you heard from the teammates about Scottie Pippen and how he was, if not their favorite teammate, one of their favorite teammates, he was awesome in the booth, just awesome. And I thought, you know, Johnny and I talked about it, and would he have been a really good full-time addition yeah he really would have now and and older cup fans are going to understand this when randy hunley did some games on radio for the cubs randy had that arkansas draw randy's a great buddy of mine a, a golfing buddy of mine so randy had that arkansas draw he was really good with what he said but people couldn't couldn't get past that draw same with Scottie Pippen. I mean, one of our first, it might have been our first game together, and he's sitting next to, to, to me. He's on my right, Red's on the left. And he looks at me after Luol Deng takes like an 18-footer on a fast break with five seconds to go or something like that. He just looks me dead in the eye and said, that, that's some big old balls he's got. <laughs> and and I, I, I really appreciated how much that comment meant to Pip. I mean, that was high praise from Scottie Pippen, and he, he just off the off the top of his head. And, um, you know, I see him doing some things now with the media, and I, I honestly think Scottie Pippen ought to be doing games somewhere on TV um, if you can get past the Arkansas draw because he's really good at it. I I totally agree, and I think that's probably something that's going to be in his future here. He got sort of 
paint it as like Pippen, I, and maybe he's angry about the last dance. He hasn't been speaking. I don't know if he is or he isn't. But in my mind, Scottie Pippen doesn't have to apologize for anything. 1.8 included, 98, getting the surgery after the summer. Hall of Fame player, top 50, raise six banners, side by side with Michael. I, I don't, none of it bothers me. It, it, it's part of what makes him him, and, and he's totally fine in my mind. How do you look at it, Tom? I think the 1.8 still bothers him, I bet. Okay. Um, I bet it still bothers Bill Cartwright and other guys. <laughs> um, but again, I'll go back to this. If you ask a lot of those guys, Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr, Bill Winnington, Luke Longley, uh, Randy Brown, Pete Myers, who was the guy they really, really liked? It was Pip. And I, I tweeted this a couple weeks ago, and I really believe this. The year and a half that Michael was gone, Pip could have been named the MVP that first year. 100%. Easily could have been named the MVP. He was so good at everything, and he kept that team together. I forget what the record was. They were awesome, and a terrible call from Hugh Hollins away from winning that series. And, And by the way, tonight, I don't know if you saw, Hugh Hollins called one of the Utah games. I think it was game six in Chicago. Um, And so Holland, Hugh Hollins is calling the game and I'll never forget. They announced the referees and the boo for (laughs) Hugh Hollins was louder than the bull, the boo that any of the Utah jazz guys got. You know, when you think about the Pippen foul on Hubert Davis and Hugh Hollins, and you look at, I haven't heard anybody say this because try to flex my muscles here, Tom, but if you look at the shot that Stockton took in game six and Harper's contact on that play, I would argue he actually touched him more. I mean, Pippen didn't touch Hubert Davis until the ball was long gone. Stockton, there was a little bump there, and it shouldn't have been called. But if you're comparing the two, the whistle should have been on Harper way before it should have been on Pippen on Hubert Davis. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, not that particular play, but the the in New York, I swear – Johnny Kerr stood up and was ready to go out on the floor. And I kid you not, he was ready to go out on the floor and scream at Hugh Hollins. He was livid. And I I tried to calm him down because we're still, you know, we're still playing basketball. And and he was, oh, he was just so angry because Johnny – I, I was a reporter. I liked the guys. I got along with them. Johnny loved that team. As he was dying, the time to go see him at his house, and he died at home. He didn't want to go in the hospital. So the time to go see Red was when the Bulls played. And he was really in bad shape. But you had to go see him when the Bulls played. Otherwise, he may not be coherent. When the Bulls played, it was the old Johnny. The absolutely the old red curve. And uh, I'm getting choked up a little bit talking about it still. I miss my buddy. But anyway, that's that's the call that to me kept Pip from getting a lot more recognition. They beat New York. Look, Indiana was great. Um, Indiana went to the finals. But if they beat New York and get to the Eastern Conference Finals without Michael, I remember MJ came up to me before the season 
And he said, how far do you think they can go? And I pointed at Pip and I said, a hell of a long way. And he, he, he gave me one of those kind of slow turns of his head, this kind of mischievous grin. And he said, you and I are about the only ones who think that. And I said, wow, he's too, he's too good. He's just too good. And Michael MJ was a big fan the year that he played baseball. And, um, yeah, we talked a few times when he was playing baseball and, um, he, he, he loved it. He was so excited for Pip and that team, uh, to do what they did. And could you imagine just getting to the Eastern conference finals the year after MJ retired, man, that, that team deserved that. They, and they might've been in the final seat. There's a couple things I want to bring up here, Tom, and I, I love that you brought up that year. Because, listen, you know, um, and this is the first time I've ever gotten to talk to you, so just, just to give you a little bit of my history, you know, I was 11 years old in 84, and my entire childhood was hearing that Bird and Magic were better than Jordan and Michael's never going to win and the scoring champion and all that stuff. And then, of course, they win the first three, and now he's retired, and I'm worried about his legacy because I was, you know, I was a huge Bulls fan. Like I loved Orlando Woolridge and Quentin Daly before Michael, but I became really attached to Michael and, and all of that. And so that year, it was hard for me to root for him because I was worried about his legacy. And even though I was going to the games and I was rooting for him and all that type of stuff, it still felt like a little hollow to me. And I was wondering if Michael was actually rooting for the team, and he was, you know, worried about his own legacy. And I also, Not, yeah. I, which yeah. is interesting. And I and I was also wondering, like, because Red Kerr was, he loved Michael, and I was trying to understand how he was so into that team. I'm like, aren't you worried about Michael? So there's like, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. See, it's funny in pro sports, guys leave every year and during the season. I remember when Brad Miller left. Brad and I were really tight. Uh, we did a lot together. I, I I have nothing but respect for that guy who with very limited athletic skills made himself into a hell of an NBA player. Anyway, I, so guys leave all the time. Obviously, Michael Levin's a little different, right? I mean, you, you, you don't see a guy like that very often. But you, 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 you get guys leave. And when somebody leaves, somebody takes over. I remember we were in, where the hell were we? I, anyway, we were on the road somewhere. And Pete Myers and I were going to a movie. You know, something to do. You're, you're always looking to kill time. So Pete and I are going to go to a movie, and um, I mean, we knew we knew Michael was coming back. I'd seen him at a couple of practices. I talked to him a little bit, um, and it was always well when Jazzy can walk. Jasmine, his daughter, is now tweeting and on Instagram that kind of thing. So this but, is this is '95. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the year he came back. Okay. So, so, so. Pete and I are going to the movie to watch whatever it was. We're the only two guys, only two people in the movie theater. Um, and so we're watching the movie and, you know, just kind of goofing around. And um, I said to Pete, what do you think? How would you feel? Because he was a starting two guard. And Pete's like, man, I hope he comes back tomorrow. Oh, my God. I win. I want to win. I, I, he said, I'll take a spot off the bench. I'll be whatever role I need to be, but bring the man back. You know, how do you not? That's a kind of amazing. Cause if I was Pete Myers or Jojo English or any, any of the guys that was getting minutes, I, I would, I hate, I hate to admit it, but I think I'd be about myself. 
Uh, but that's great to hear. Tom, can you just talk about your relationship with Johnny? Um, it was clear that you guys were were great friends, and your affection for him always came across in, you know, on the broadcast. And and Red Kerr, I mean, the guy was he's just a hero, man. For you know, first Bulls team and. The, you know him, you and Michael and and JD before that with the with the with the rosin or the dust or whatever the hell that was being uh, knocked around and just his relationship with all the guys, um, just a special 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 man. You know, Michael obviously greatest bull bull player, probably the greatest NBA player. Um, Johnny Kerr was to me Mister Bull. You know, he, he he was Michael was was the star, but Red was the guy, and those two had such a good relationship. They, you know, if, if we're one night we're in Boston, and and we're in the old garden, and and so we're upstairs for this game because TNT or TBS or NBC somebody's there, and so we're in the in the hockey. Uh, camera well, right? So Johnny's right in front of me, and he says, oh, you're going to have a blast up here. We get to see the game so well. He takes a step down to go into that well, and it was a long step, and it was longer than he thought. And he almost ended up going over the railing, right? I mean, we almost lost Johnny right before the game. I reach out and jump on him and pull him back, okay? I'm not the hero here. Nothing like that. So I bring Johnny back. He, we, we do the game. He doesn't say a word. We, we get on the bus afterwards, and Michael made a big shot. And he looked at Michael, and he says, yeah, you didn't do jack tonight. He didn't quite use those words. And, and Michael's like, well, I mean, I won the game. And, Mike, and, and so Johnny's like, no, Dor saved my life tonight. <laughs> and, and so he tells the story. And Michael is, everybody on the bus is roaring, laughing, right? I mean, this is because Johnny could tell a story. And so Michael looked at me, kind of put his arm around my shoulder because he was right behind me in the seat right behind me. And he said, thanks, man. Aww. Just like that. That was it. But just one of those thanks, man. That's how much those guys meant to each other. Why do you think that was? I think Red understood the game, understood what Michael would go through wherever he went. You know, he and I, Red and I would host a few things, not a lot, but a few things that Michael would do. And so we'd see, you know, what it was like, and then we'd get him backstage and laugh about it or whatever. But Red never, ever wavered in his support of Michael or the Bulls from day one. Red went up and introduced him. He told me the story a million times about, you know, the first time they met. Welcome to Chicago. You're going to love it here. If you need anything, you let me know. Introduced him. When Michael didn't know a lot of people, Red put his arm around him and introduced him to a lot of movers and shakers in Chicago. Now, after about three years or two years, or maybe in the middle of his first year, Michael didn't need a lot of help, but he remembered that guy that the first time he met him said, come here, let me, I want you to meet this guy. I want you to do this. And that was Johnny. That was red. He would open any door, do anything he could for you. 
he was my breakfast buddy, my lunch buddy, my dinner buddy, my partner in broadcasting. We'd go golf. We'd play golf together. We'd go fishing together. Whatever it was, it was Red and I. And um, his relationship with the Bulls was awesome. Our relation. I mean, we'd fight. We'd get on the plane and argue. Um, you know, and, and people would say, yeah, no, you know, people are going to get mad. Phil's going to come back and yell at you. Phil thought it was funny. It, and, and, but it was almost like a marriage, you know, you love each other so much, but maybe you didn't agree on something. And so you'd add a little bit more to the fight just to make it that much more interesting. That's, that, that's who Johnny and I were. We'd do anything for each other, anything. So I want to go back to the the night that they honored Red Kerr. What year was that, Tom? Do you remember? Um, I think it was the – was it the next year or two years later after? He, he and I basically both were replaced, right? Okay. Um, they moved Neil over, and Stacey King took over, so Johnny kind of did some pre and post or something like that. I don't remember if it was that year or the next year. I think it was the next year um, uh, that they honored him, that they put the they put that ceremony together. Okay, so and we knew we knew he had, if not a couple weeks, maybe three at the outset. When when we they had that night, they were going to do it a little later, but then you know we all got the word, hey, it's imminent now. This is not going to be long. Yeah. What do you – I was watching, you know, they, they replayed game six of uh, Bulls in Utah the other night, and they're showing the celebration at Grand Park. And there you are on the set, Tom Dore, alongside Chet Kopik. And I was so happy to see him in his suspenders. What a what a great thing to have on oh your TV. My. Right? Gosh, yeah. That night, um, I think i just come back from Utah, and – on a really well-placed NBA guy who would know player told me that he thought Chuck Barkley, the Charles Barkley, if they kept the team together, the Chuck was coming. What? He wanted to play with the bulls. Um, but that's funny that they replayed that. Oh my gosh. Well, and I loved it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. Here we got Tom Dorn. We've got Chet and we have, our friend Norm Van Leer up there, and I loved I loved Norm on the radio. I loved him on TV. I don't remember him as a player. I'm a little too young for that. But you know, my brothers are older than me, and everybody just talks about what an incredible competitor Norm was. Like, what do you remember about Red Kerr's night, if anything, Tom, and how they didn't allow Norm on the floor? It just seems so off hearing that story. Yeah, I don't. I I, I heard about this but I didn't know anything about it at the time. By the time I heard about it, see, I was gone. I'd been fired by then. Yeah. Um, but by the time I heard about it, um, they were both gone. Um, you know, Norm, Norm and Johnny died on the same day. It's I was crazy. I forget where I was going. I was going across the railroad tracks and that's when I heard, uh, you know, a bull, a bull had passed. Well, you know, we were all expecting it. Johnny was going to go any time. And then they said, Norm. And I thought, was it a mistake? Are they sure? 
And so I called him. And of course, you know, obviously no answer. And then I heard it again that Norm was gone. And then, what, an hour later, it's Johnny. I think that's the way it was. It was one, one you know, really quick. And I, it, it was because I, I love Norm, too. I remember Norm as a player, obviously. I'm 62. So, I, I, you know, I grew up with those guys. Chad Walker and Bob Love and Sloan and Glenn Van Leer in the backcourt and Tommy Borwinkle and Dennis Autry and all, all those guys. I, so, to me, when I met Norm, he was at Sports Channel, and he was talking about doing the pre and the post on TV in halftime. And so he comes up to me, and he's saying, I don't know if you know who I am. <laughs> Gee, you're Norm Van Leer. You know, yeah, I know who you are. So I told him. We, so we went out to lunch, and we laughed. It had to be the longest lunch. We had to be there for two and a half, three hours. And we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And from that day on, I could do no wrong. You know, Norm and I were great buddies. And when I went to uh, the wake um, downtown, and I saw Dave Corzine, Dave and I walked in together. Um, but when I walked in, I just got this sense that, man, we've lost so much. Because Norm and Johnny in the same day, just two icons for me, you know, obviously Johnny was for Chicago, but we was both of those guys. My gosh, that was just, that, that was hard to take. Yeah. Really hard to take. No question. No question. Uh, Tom, I appreciate you doing this. Let's take just a couple more questions here. Uh, you were on the planes, right? And I'm, I'm trying to I've heard rumors about some really aggressive comments from Scottie Pippen at the general manager that maybe was not in the documentary. Uh, is is that a true story that uh, perhaps you witnessed some stuff that they didn't cover? Um, it, were there some things said on the plane that'll stay on the plane? Yeah, there were a lot of things said on the plane that that'll stay. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that. But were there things? At other players, you know, did guys get heated at times uh, about almost everything? Yeah. I mean, temp- this is right after a game, so or we're going to a game. That usually wasn't too bad. When we were coming back from a game and tensions were high, it was a tight game. Were there things said? Absolutely. Well, there were no fights, anything like that. But there were some tense moments, and... And I think everybody was uh, was kind of a target at one point in time or another, except Phil. Nobody ever did anything like that to Phil. Everybody knew. And I think that started with Michael because he respected authority. And it's part of, partly from his dad, from Pops. Um, Pops was awesome. God, what a great guy. Always, always smile, put his arm around you. How you doing? How's your kids? How's your family? You know, how's that dog? And he and he'd remember all that stuff. Pops was just Pops was great. And so I think part of that, Pops instilled in Michael, you respect the authority. I mean, you remember Michael for a time was a kind of a wayward kid. And Pops would sit him down and say, This is how it's gonna happen. So to his high school coach, to Dean Smith, to Doug Collins and, and Phil Jackson, I think Michael just respected that. 
And since Michael did, everybody else did. When you get your best guy to to buy into all of that, everybody else is going to. Tell me, uh, do you have a story of you and James? No, I mean, it, it, he. we didn't go anywhere. We didn't do a lot together. Uh, okay. I'd see him before games or I'd see him in practice and um, just always, always had that smile yeah. no matter what. Yeah. I When he uh, was taken, uh, which was just obviously incredibly traumatic in the, in the 93 summer, uh, did you think at the time, Tom, like, uh-oh, this is, this is going to be uh, a situation where Michael's not going to play? No, no, that didn't, that, that one didn't occur to me. Okay. Um, I sent Michael a note and I called him and left a message. You know, he probably had 8,000 messages. He probably just hit delete, 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 delete on his phone. You know how that goes. But, um, but I, I, I didn't get that sense um, at the time. It just didn't seem to, to resonate with me that he, that he'd call it quits. But I understood when he did. Yeah, I, I I didn't have a problem with it at all. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's just talk about a couple of these people around the the United Center that you definitely knew, uh, and one of the guys that was highlighted tonight was Gus. How well did you know Gus? What was Gus like? I, you know, Michael's security team here, who obviously was very close, with, seemed like a, a well was a father figure. That's what he talked about. Gus, um, Gus was awesome. You know, you you had Gus, you had John, you had, there was just such a great group of people that Michael picked to be around him, whether it was pitching quarters, whether it was going to play golf, whether it was going to dinner, whatever, ordering pizza, you know, what, what a night that was, but, (laughs) but no matter what he had, he, he had a great knack for surrounding himself with really great people. Bus, I, I, I got a million Gus Lutz stories. So Gus, we're, we're on the road somewhere. I forget we're in the playoffs. And Gus sits down next to me on the bus. And I say, you know, we're talking about what he liked to do. And Michael's right behind me. And Michael's just dying at the whole thing. So I say, Gus, what, you know, what, what do you do? He said, man, I don't do much. I'm retired, dude. You got to understand. I, I, I did all that stuff. I don't need to do all that stuff anymore. And so I said, well, have you ever tried fishing? And and I'll never, ever forget this. And every time I'd see Michael, he'd bring this up. Gus looked me dead in the eye, and he said, man, they sell fish at the Jewel. Why, why, why do you need to go try and find some out in some river or lake and, and kill some poor fish that's just out trying to eat? And and Mike, I'm telling you, Michael is behind me, just doubled over. He's laughing so hard <laughs> because that was just the quintessential Gus. Why are you making things harder on yourself? What the hell's wrong with you? And I mean, that was that was just Gus. And and you know whether it was Joe Rokas or Gus or or any of the guys, um, I, I, you you just they were like family, you know, they were just like family. And, uh, God, Gus was just so deadpan. And yet when it came time, you better do exactly what that man told you to do. 
he may have been however old he was, but he still wasn't going to take anything from anybody. Yeah, you tweeted that uh, he was. It was almost as hard for him passing as it was when James passed. So that's yeah, uh, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a yeah. Michael paid all of his bills and really tried to get anything. You know, anything. There was some. Where was it from? Some Russian or Eastern or Western cure. I forget what it was. Something that wasn't available in the United States. And I mean, they Michael was ready. And I think Gus just said, "Nah, Mike, this is, I'm, I've had enough." And um, uh, I, I, I know that got us all. Yeah. That Gus passed and got all of us. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going through the Tom Dor tweets on the final night here. Do you think that Indiana <laughs> was was a tougher team than? Because now make to make it a left turn, which is a hard turn off of Gus. But I'm just seeing that. Because I disagreed. Michael's saying Indiana was their toughest competition. I'm like, hold on a second. The Knicks had you down 2-0 and 93. That was tough sledding. The year before you won seven. I Indiana didn't make me as nervous. Maybe I'm missing something here, but I thought the Knicks were tougher. The, the Indiana was a better basketball team. The Knicks were tougher. I mean, the Knicks were just – they were kind of like the bad boys, Detroit – but better basketball players. So they kind of mixed the two, you know, I mean, think of Anthony Mason and think of John Starks and, and Derek Harper and, and Patrick Ewing um, and Charles Oakley. This was a bunch that could shoot the basketball could play. I mean, really play basketball and they were almost good enough. You know, it came down to a last shot or a last block or a steal so many times with those games, just like the Hugh Hollins game. You know, yep. it came down to which way the ball bounced. Somebody could tip it and who could get it. So to me, the Knicks were tougher, but Indiana was probably, I, I'll agree with Reggie Miller, Indiana was probably the better team. but. And then Mike. I give Reggie a ton of credit. He knew that they were going to switch. I'm going to run right through them. They're not going to call it. He'll, uh, that's that. You know, Michael gets called for the push up on Brian Russell, which I thought that was underlined pretty well tonight. That yeah, he was already well gone. He didn't need to shove at all. But Reggie did need to push Michael, and he did. And then he what a clutch shot. Hey, yeah, it was a great move. I got a great Reggie Miller, yeah. Michael Jordan story. You saw a little bit of it tonight, the little dust-up they had. So we're at Indiana. We're on the bus going to the game. And, look, I, I loved egging Michael on, asking him something, telling him something, whatever it was. And so there was something in the paper that Reggie said. And it kind of, you know, it was one of those things where I could twist it a little bit and, and get Michael a little agitated. So whatever it was, Michael was already a little agitated going into that game. So Reggie, you know, we finish, we finish the introductions and all that stuff. Mike's kind of looking at me like I'm going to kill him. I, I'm just, <laughs> so finally Reggie did something and you know, on, on the basket and Michael, Michael goes after him. Now what you didn't see tonight Reggie scratched him, and he, he alluded to it, but he didn't really talk about it. Started right under his his left shoulder, 
and came all the way across his chest and down. So he gets on the bus and he says, all right, how'd you call it? What did you say? And did you see that right that I got? You know, I mean, we're just guys, we're just <laughs> guys having fun. And so he, 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 he says, have you ever seen a really deep scratch? Well, yeah, of course. He said, well, I got one for you. So he pulls up his shirt and he shows me this huge scratch I'm telling you, from his shoulder down uh, almost to the to the right side of his stomach. And I said, where the hell did you get that? He said, it's from Reggie. That, And then he put in a word that you probably wouldn't want to use on radio. Um, and 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 he, you could just tell he was still so fired up about that. And he wanted to go back out and play more, even though the Bulls won. He was ready to go back out and play more. Because it was just part of being a guy. And that kind of typified who he was. He loved playing, man. He loved competition in anything. I won the NCAA tournament pool one year. It was probably my second year, maybe. And and so I win the pool. And I, I walk by Michael and kind of wave the money at him and put it in my pocket. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that. The next year he did like five entries, right? Then he leaves and comes back. So the next year, you know, that 72 win season, he put in like 15 or 20 entries or whatever it was. He he knew he was losing money, but he was going to win. And that was the whole key. And he said he spent a lot of time filling out those brackets, trying to figure out, okay, I got this win, this upset over here. I don't want to put that. I mean, he, he, that's who he is. He's got to win. He's got to win at everything. God love him. And I do. He's got to win. Jordan did 15 sheets out of 30, 30 guys or 30 sheets total. and still lost. Is that, is that, am I hearing that right, Tom? No, he won that year. He won. When <laughs> okay. he put in 15, he won. That year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that, I guess that's not surprising, but I'm a little surprised by that. Like, I, okay, I'm willing to just embarrass myself by sub- submitting a million sheets just as long as I get the winner so I can taunt all you. That's great. Uh, you know, what was it, 250 bucks or something like that? It, that didn't matter to him. The fact that he was going to lose money overall didn't matter to him. He wanted that sheet back and the money, and he wanted to be able to look at all of us like, I told y'all so. I told y'all so. That's that's him. All right, I got two more for you, Tom. But I, it's it's late. I you probably want to get on to bed and all that. So I appreciate the time. Tell tell me how the the rosin thing started, and then you guys had the face masks and like what what was that? Like <laughs> just trying to to remember why Michael liked doing it. Was it a I, I guess a, a taunting thing, which I guess it really wasn't more of a friendship thing. But like, how do you remember it? So it started with J.D., with right. Jim Durham and Johnny Kerr. So he would go by. Uh, he did it one time on accident. He didn't mean to do it. And, of course, it was a great bit. You know, Johnny's waving the, the rosin away and coughing and talked about it all game long. Now, what Michael would do if we weren't going on the road after the game, he would at that time put in a VHS tape and, and go back and watch it, right? After the game, he'd go home, eat something, and watch the game. And he'd listen to what everybody said. So when I got the job, Johnny said, hey, just so you know, this is what's going to happen and it will come up. So he 
he, he enjoyed doing it. It got to be a bit. And then every once in a while, Johnny, Johnny, I mean, we brought masks one time, the surgical masks. He brought umbrellas one time. So the last time we did it, he brought little tiny handheld fans. And these, I mean, this was brand new. Somebody probably gave it to him, his insurance guy. I mean, his insurance guy, but whoever it was gave it to him. So he he got the, the great idea. And this is how nerdy we were. We practiced doing this before Michael did it. So we'd each hold this little tiny handheld fan, kind of put our fists together so that we could blow it back at him. Well, we did geniuses that we were, right? We didn't realize that if we blow this back at him, it might get in his eye. So we, we, Johnny and I, he comes over to do the rosin. We got these little fans. We push the button. We turn it on. And this rosin blows right in his eye. I'm telling you, Johnny Kerr almost passed away right then and there and definitely needed new underwear. So it's it gets in his eye and he's kind of pulling, you know, rubbing his eye and pulling his eye. He gets a couple eye drops. He looks at me and I mean, it, it, if looks could kill, as you can imagine, <laughs> I mean, this was awesome for him. He had me forever now. So he it, it was fine. The, the rosin came out. He played well. The Bulls won. It wasn't a problem. We're on the road the next day. We're going somewhere. And Johnny and I meet. I think we met for lunch and, and he's like, you know, I expected fully expected the headline in the tribute, not that the bulls won or anything like that. Former Chicago bulls announcers, Tom Dore and Johnny <laughs> red Kerr are, you know, dot, 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 because he figured we're done. We're out. You guys, you idiots. How stupid can you be? So we're sitting at the airport at O'Hare ready to, you know, waiting for everybody else. Michael comes over, sits down, and he is dying laughing as Johnny's telling him the story, right? And so then Phil comes over, and he says, he didn't look at Johnny. He just looked at me, and he said, Dor, yeah, the bits are over. The rosin bits, that's done. You aren't going to do that stuff anymore. Okay, I understand. You know, what else? Am I going to argue with Phil Jackson? Hell no, I'm not that stupid. And so Michael... Phil gets up and leaves, and Michael kind of waves the finger like you did in, like, third grade. Ah, hi, you got in trouble. It was just like that. And he loved every second of it. But for Johnny, he couldn't do the bit anymore, you know? Yeah. I mean, he loved it. But, yeah, it was very clear. The bits were over. That was it. That was the last one. There was a line that Phil held. Like you saw it when Seinfeld's in the locker room in New York, and he's like, all right, get out. And, and Jerry makes a crack. Hi, Phil. And I, I, I can, you know, when they play, they practice at the multiplex back in the day, Tom. And I was a, you know, I was a high school kid. I was a member there. And I got to play pickup with BJ, and, and Weddington would play late in later years. And so one day they're having practice and it's before practice and BJ's warming up. So I like step in and I'm, and I'm, 
I'm rebounding for him. And this is like the highlight of my life, right? You know, I'm a huge Bulls fan. I'm, I'm rebounding oh, for BJ. You know, it's, yeah, absolutely. How does this get any better? Right. Yeah. Right. And so I'm sitting there and like now the rest of the team is coming in and he, he started out shooting like three footers and then he moved it out to the foul line. And now he's shooting threes and I'm still rebounding for him. And Michael's walking in and Scotty's walking in and Phil's in the gym. And so now it's like, I'm, you know, as close to on the team as, as I'm ever going to be. And Phil just says to me, he'll get his own balls now. And that was the end of it. Like the guy, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he, he was holding standard at all time. Apparently no more bits. No, I didn't know that Phil Jackson ended the rosin game. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Now that we, he could still clap the rosin in front of us. That was fine. Okay. We just couldn't, we, we just couldn't, you know, put the umbrellas up or wear the masks or whatever. Yeah. That's what he said on our part. Wasn't Michael? He didn't tell Michael anything. It was <laughs> Phil yelling at me. Basically, is what it ended up being. You know, the bits are done on your part. So Michael was like, "So the next game, I swear, he he had to tell Chip Schaefer really load me up." <laughs> so he got a ton of that rosin and got right in front of me, and he knew you can't do anything, dude. And and I'm telling you, it was like that third grader or your or your older brother waving his finger at you like, ha ha, dad yelled at you and not me. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And um, you know, for for like a month, he'd bring it up every once in a while. But it was that that was the bit. We you're on the road so much, you're killing time. And um, uh, he was Michael was awesome. Scotty was. Scotty was different. Scotty was terrific. I didn't have a problem with any of the guys. I really didn't. We got along really, really well. And um, I had I had a great, what, 17-plus years of that first year doing a, a few radio games. I had a blast. I had a great time. What'd they say to you at the end? When they fired me? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, yeah, so – yeah, so Jim Cornell, who was the general manager and the guy that, I mean, everybody will tell you he's the best boss anybody ever worked for. So I'm on the plane, and we land with Arena Football, and Big Cat Williams is with me. We're in the exit row. You know, we would obviously take up the whole exit row. So we land, and I reach down to pull the phone out, and the phone, and I see I've got like three messages, and the phone rings, and it's Jim Cornell. And he said, um, he said, Tommy, glad you answered. And I said, yeah, here's, you know, here's where I'm doing. He said, well, I've got some tough news. Uh, the Bulls have decided to make a change. Okay, what are we changing? You know, I didn't know. And so then he explained that, uh, that they'd hired Chuck Swirsky to do the radio and that Neil was going to move over to TV and that uh, I was out. And they also said that Johnny was leaving. So I, I finished that call and thanked Jim for, you know, a great 17 years and how wonderful they'd been to me, that kind of thing. I go up to the hotel room and I called Neil Funk right away. And I said, Hey, you'll do terrific. You'll, you know, this, this will be easy. And Neil didn't really want to talk. I think he was a little uncomfortable. The next call I got is Johnny. He says, I just got this release. What the, the, you know, bleep, bleep, beep, boom. What is this? And he says, I'm out and you're out? What the hell is going on? I don't see your name anywhere of this new broadcast team. And I'm doing pre and post? What the? And, and again, you know, several unprintable words. 
And so he was hurt, I guess would be the best way. Then I explained it to him. I said, look, John, here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. I don't know what your role is going to be, but I know that I've been fired. And Wayne has been fired. And um, and he didn't sit too well with him. But, again, what do you do? You know, you, we've all been part of this. You're in the media. You, you know these days come, uh, come for you. And so um, that was it. That's, that's how that, – that was the last time we talked about it. I mean, after that, we talked fishing, that kind of thing. But he was sick. That last year, we knew that he wasn't doing well. He went to get uh, a test, and they discovered that he had the prostate cancer. They told him it was the slow-growing kind, and he it would be another 15 years before it got him. It wasn't. It was the fast-growing kind. And, what, a year later, whatever it was, he was gone. Yeah, there's so they never actually really gave you a reason. It was just whatever we're we're making broadcast teams going to change. This is the world of media, and you never get an explanation anyway if they're they're giving you the information. But um, well, and, and so so I had what two or three NBA teams call me and say, "Why did the Bulls fire you? You know, we're we're interested. We've got an opening. Why did what did you do?" You know, did you say the wrong thing? Did you did you do? You know, what did you do? Tell us so that we can make a decision. And I said, I didn't do anything. And so then they called the Bulls, and the Bulls said the same thing. He didn't do anything. So the teams didn't trust that I didn't do anything. And so I, there, I think there were two or three jobs that came open that, and the teams called me and said. You know, hey, we're really interested in you, but they were afraid of what really happened. Well, nothing happened. You know, I didn't, that, I didn't do anything to anybody. But yeah, that, that's kind of how it all ended up. And then, I, so I came down to Austin at, for a job with what was then the Texas Channel. You know, it now is the Longhorn Network, and I'm halfway to Oklahoma City. And DeLos Dodds, the athletic director of Texas, a buddy of mine, I'd been their radio guy for five years. DeLaws calls me and says, hey, I got a problem. I said, well, DeLaws, I'm, you know, I'm here to help. What's the problem? He said, well, ESPN just gave me $65 million. I said, DeLaws, that's a hell of a problem. I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> and so, so he's laughing, but he said, here's the problem. They own everything. I, don't, I can't hire anybody. I can't do anything. You don't have a job. Oh, now I understand the problem. And so I came down here, bought into a biodiesel plant, and now i got a couple partners that are just geniuses. And I truly, I mean, I'll be honest about this. I am penny from the Big Bang Theory when Leonard and Sheldon start talking about molecules and all that stuff. I have no clue what my partners are talking about 85 to 90% of the time. Unless they're talking about food or a problem with their car or something like that, I don't know what I, – I, I have no clue what they're talking about, but, um, but we have a blast and I, I love what I'm doing and, uh, but I miss it. I miss the guys, you know, the games were nice. Being on TV was nice. I miss the guys and I miss that first group, you know, through Bill Wennington, Billy and I are still really tight. I love Billy and BJ and Michael and Scotty and Steve Kerr and Judd Bushler, Bushy, 
you know, Dickie Simpkins, all Bill Cartwright, Billy C and I are really, so I miss those guys and Phil and Jimmy Clements and Tex Winter. Um, those were just such great friendships and that's what I miss. And that's what I bet all of them would say. Yeah. You know, Michael wanted another chance and I get that, but you miss the guys. That's what you really miss. Which team, Tom, do you think was the best? I've always maintained that I'll take younger. Give me as young a Mike as I can have. So, and you did some games in uh, in '91. Like I would take the '91 team that went 15 and two. The two games they lost was in and out against the Lakers. They were nervous in game one of the finals, and the other game was a overtime loss to Philly. They were down 20 plus points, came back and lost by two. But everybody wants to say '96. In 92, you were there. That team, they it was a slog through the playoffs, but they knew they were the best team. So I don't know who you would pick, but I, I like the younger. I, I certainly like the first three more than the second three, but if I had to pick one team, I'd take 91. Where do you go? Boy, I, that's a tough one. You know, because of the cast around Michael, Michael was smarter at the end. Scotty was smarter. Dennis added different things. Horace Grant was more of a shooter and a great athlete out on the floor so that they could put pressure on teams out on the floor and recover. Dennis was more that low post defender. Dennis wasn't going to, if you're going to shoot three, Hey, good luck to you. You know, um, whereas Horace could get out there and defend different teams. I don't know. You know, it's like when people ask me about the bulls or golden state, you know, that great golden state team, which one was better? Well, I don't know. You know, how the hell do you compare? I, when, when we talk about that, the first thing I ask is, what rules are we playing? I think people, if there's one thing people came away with this, is how physical the NBA was and how much it's changed. It's a vastly different game today than it was when, when Michael and the Bulls were, were the Kings. God, what a different game. You do half of that stuff now wouldn't just be a foul. You might be tossed, you know? Yep. I mean, look, look at what those guys did. And, you know, you play on. There's no blood. You're fine. Get the hell up. <laughs> Go back on defense. And so that's the difference. But anyway, which team? Hell, I don't know. You know, different eras, different ways that they played. But every one of them, damn good. No question. No question. Tom, I, I want to uh, just wrap up with this. I was, you know, when I, I was telling you, when I'm, when I'm growing up, we didn't have cable. So, you know, my dad was trying to teach me that, uh, you know, you do your schoolwork, young man. This didn't really work out particularly well. But <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't get cable until, like, say, 88 or 89. So I would, you know, when the Bulls weren't on Channel 9 or whatever, I would be listening on the radio. And, you know, I just, I fell in love with Jim Durham. This is who I grew up with. And I, and, and so when, when he doesn't come back after 91, I was like, this is BS. Come on, you have to work it out. And so when you got the job, I was, I was like, this is terrible. Who is this guy? And I now listening back to it, when they're replaying all these games, I was like, wow, what an asshole I was. Tom Dore was a, a really, <laughs> really good-ass broadcaster who was having a ton of fun doing these games, and I was like this bitter guy missing my childhood hero, Jim Durham. So 
I just want to let you know, listening to all these rebroadcasts, you were great, man. And uh, you, and I'm really, you know, what an unbelievable opportunity you got to do it for 17 years and be a part of, you were part of all six championship teams and full-time all for five of them. What an unbelievable run. And I, I really appreciate you taking time tonight. But um, I was so bitter with Jim that it took me until the replays to really appreciate how great you were. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I had a blast. You know, you get in, you get involved with people like this. And I was learning TV when I got there. I was a radio guy, pure radio guy. And I'd done maybe two games on TV, and I wasn't very good in either one of those. Um, and here I am, the, the Bulls. When they hired me, they brought me up to Chicago for an interview. Um, and I sat down with Jim Corno, and there were, you know, all the, all the big guys were there, right? And so I, but they're starting to talk to me, and I said, guys, hang on. Can I just – I just want to be sure. Are you sure you got the right guy? Because I don't know anything about the NBA, and I don't know anything about TV. If you're okay with all of that, I'm good with, with continuing. But I want to make sure you guys know before we go any further who I am and what. I was a college guy. I didn't know the NBA. I'd watch a few playoff games. That was it. And so I think the honesty really helped more than, you know, I mean, they liked what I'd done. They heard me on the radio, all that, but I, it was, it was a learning curve for me. I'd never done TV. I, I hadn't done TV on, I hadn't done play by, I did it 84 Olympics. I was the um, international feed play by play guy. So I did basketball. I did some baseball. My buddy and I, who is the mayor of, of, of Sparks, Nevada now, or was the mayor. So he, I, I asked him, I said, hey, can you come down to L.A.? I'm going to do all this stuff alone. And so we go in. They tell us we're going to do team handball. Honest to God, Mark. I, I, it, I thought we were going to have two guys hitting the ball against a wall. You know, kind of like racquetball. I thought, okay, I've played racquetball before. I can figure this out. We get to the arena, and we looked down to see what they were doing. And this was a last minute because the guys were sick. Both guys were sick. They were supposed to do it. And this was a big match. I looked down at the floor, and my jaw could have dropped to the floor. I had no conception of what they were doing. So I looked at my partner, and we're like we're like 30 minutes from air now, right? Because traffic in L.A. was awful. We're 30 minutes from air. I look at Bruce, and I, he was my college roommate. I say, you go find out what they're doing. Find out, find out the rules. I didn't, I mean, I had no clue, completely dumbfounded. I walked down, and, and one of the coaches, one of the assistant coaches, spoke English. I forget. It was like Holland against whoever. I don't know. And so one of these guys spoke English and he kind of went through some of the names and what would happen and that kind of thing. I'm telling you, they, and, and there was a basketball game too. I'll tell you about that. It won't take 10, 30 seconds. It was the worst TV moment of my career because I had no idea what was going on. So I went back to the studio and I told the guy, I said, how, how can you throw me into a situation like this? So, and, and the guy with me is like, you know, he's not going to say anything because he's there in the past. And so he says, well, I got one better for you. You know, you're our basketball guy and we've got 
two countries that are about to play, and we need you to broadcast the game. And I said, okay, you know, I mean, what am I going to get here? And he said, well, it's India and China. (laughs) To this day, seriously now, to this day, both countries still play little clips of that broadcast because I was so bad at pronouncing the names. I had eight minutes from the time he told me I was doing this game. I had eight minutes to get in, sit down, because we did it in the studio, get in, sit down, and broadcast the game. To this day, India and China still play clips because I was so bad at pronouncing the names. That's amazing. And, you know, it's <laughs> they, I I did, uh, you know, you're down in Texas, St. Edwards University. Ever heard of the Hilltoppers, Tom, in Austin, Texas? Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, so right. So my my when I was trying to make my way back into radio after working it in my twenties, and now I I got out. I was, I had this grand idea that I was going to make a whole lot of money in sales, and then that didn't work out. I'm like, oh, I really miss this radio thing. Let's see if I can get back in somehow. And my buddy was the head coach at St. Ed's, and he's like, you want to come down here and do the play by play. So uh, what does it pay? Three thousand dollars for the season. Great, I'm in. No problem. Would love to do it. This sounds fun. So, but you know, we would be, I'd be doing the men's game, the women's game. And just, there were some games where my prep wasn't great. And I would just be straight making up names over to Wilson. I mean, I was talking to the parents, like, you know, you don't know the players on, uh, who, on incarnate word or whoever St. Edwards was playing. So I was, I mean, I, I, that, if, in your situation there, I would have made up Wilson and Smith and you would have had everybody in India and China being like, who, <laughs> I don't know how. Who are these guys? It was. I, I get it. I know exactly what you're talking about. But you, I, literally eight minutes. I, but the, the the topper was walking into the to the team handball thing. My partner <laughs> and I looked at each other, and there could have been a a seven forty seven crash a, a half mile away, and we would not have been more stunned at what we were looking at. Because we were talking about, you know, it's got to be a lot of footwork when there's two guys in there. Because it was team handball. It wasn't one-on-one. It was two-on-two. You know, they're hitting the ball against the wall. And so, we, I mean, we set the whole thing up. We had it all planned out how we were going to call this. And then we walk in, and it's kind of like basketball and soccer rolled into one. And I'm telling you, we were, I mean, scared. Scared beyond belief at what we were looking at it's like what are they doing yeah, i i gotta hear that broadcast i'd love to hear that and the the, the china versus india oh, india china oh, i mean what a disaster is that on youtube somewhere oh no god i hope not but <laughs> but I, I we're in the middle of the game and i stopped for a minute because i i mean when you're bad you know you're bad whether you're playing, coaching, selling, whatever it is, when you're bad, you know you're bad. I knew, I knew this was a disaster. And so they cut our mics, and the producer walks in and says, look, you guys got to keep doing this, and I'm going to explain to you why. They are having a blast in India and China (laughs) watching you two idiots. You have to finish this game. And I looked at him and I said, I, I really hate you. I seriously hate you. 
and he is he's laughing so hard, his face is red because he's been on the phone with these guys, and they can't believe how bad this is. But literally eight minutes to go to the bathroom, get something to drink, print out a roster, and wait for other guys who are doing the same thing, you know, with whatever sport they're doing, archery or baseball or, you know, whatever it is that they were doing. And so we had to wait for the printer and the guy screaming at us to get in there. We didn't have a roster two minutes before the game. That was, oh, my God. You know, you, you, that's the, the, you know, the college dream that everybody talks about, that you realize you forgot to go to this math class for three months or whatever. And then you, you know, that, that's the college dream. So it was that all rolled into one day. Team handball and then India and China. We finished that and went out to dinner. And we might have been overserved, and we might have <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed at how stupid the whole day was. And there's nothing we could do, you know, nothing we could do. Uh, but oh my God, it was funny. We walked in the next day, and there were like 30 people that'd be like, because they'd be producing different events. This is the whole world feed. They all stood up and applauded us when we walked in the next day. Because we were such stars in India and China. So two countries that will never know who I am still revere how poor a job I, <laughs> I did that day. Congratulations, brother. You, yeah, exactly. You, you win. You, you, you battled. Tom, great to catch up, man. Let's uh, let's talk on the radio down the line here. I, I, I'm not going to let the last dance and that whole era die. I think people can continue to tell stories even though the documentary is over. So I, I look forward to chatting with you again someday. You got it. Take care, brother. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.